if you're doing a sport that you just try to subconsciously avoid, if you're on a diet that you try to subconsciously just power through, then that's, you know, that's something that you should probably address. You're listening to the Witch Math Podcast. Today, our topic of discussion is whether or not one can truly become proficient in jiu-jitsu and hold down a top executive job. You know the drill, Juchi, Badass Keys, Base Building Software Developers, Kitana Fightwear, and MJN Jiu-Jitsu in St. Cloud, Florida are helping keep this boat afloat. Screw those 20-minute long infomercials some podcasts do. But again, Juchi Keys, Base Build Inc., Kitana Fightwear, and MJN Jiu-Jitsu in St. Cloud, Florida. Thank you guys for your support. Our guest today is Mr. Dave Tresco. Dave grew up in Washington State. As he puts it, is a 41-year-old purple belt with two daughters, divorced, and as I put it, a high-flying executive with a lot of experience in business and marketing at a corporate level. His work involves managing mergers and acquisitions. Please welcome Dave Tresco. Hey, Dave, how you doing? Good, how are you, man? So just so people know, you're a core member at First PGJ, and... Uh, we've known each other for how long at this point? Man, I lose track. I was just talking to Will the other day. I started, I think, in 2016. I'd need to go back and look. And so I lose track of everybody else because a lot of guys started 17, 18, or even 16 with me, and they all crush me now, which I love. But it's all about uh, time on the mat, right? So, you know, technically six right. years, but, uh, you know, it's I don't go often enough. And back to your point of, like, the podcast in general, like, can you be a killer and an executive at the same time? And that's sort of, I, I, we can, we can dive into that, but yeah, it's, um, it's an interesting riddle. Yeah. So, I mean, just kind of getting into that. So I have a theory that our generation and possibly previous generations were kind of sold this crock of shit, basically this idea, this ideal um, of of trying to strive for the sort of new New York corner office, um, and these sort of movies and and Hollywood and things that we grew up with um, tend to sort of measure this as like the ultimate measurement of success, right? You know, so you know when we grow up, we're thinking that's what we have to strive for. That's what we have to strive to be. What tends to happen is that whatever, 90, 95% of the population that do go that route in sort of office work, whatever, tend to sit in cubicles 10 hours a day. And unfortunately, in my mind, are, are wasting um, a lot of their life. We've got sort of one shot at this 80 years that we're given. And we're kind of burning a lot of that time sitting in a cubicle for something. Now, obviously, there, there are some caveats to this. It's it's society's fault. It's the, it's the system's fault. It's the corporate employer's fault it's any employer's fault frankly if they don't have a good sort of system to help their employees live their life as well but as somebody like yourself that has sort of successfully climbed to the top of that mountain i wanted to get to get your take on it and uh, you know it ties in with jiu-jitsu in the sense that like the original question can you become proficient at jiu-jitsu and other things in life if you're having to climb so hard to get to the top of that mountain so there's only so many hours in the day and you can maximize the number of hours in the day by sleeping less, which can be done through proper nutrition and sleep habits. And there's a lot of ways to sort of biohack and optimize everything so that you can have more hours in the day. But at the end of the day, there's still, those are finite. I think ultimately when I was younger, 
uh, I was doing everything I could to maximize value creation of myself. So, you know, take the job at Morgan Stanley selling, you know, mutual funds to old ladies that eats your soul. And, you know, I'd, I, that's part of why I left that space. But um, all those things to people, I think, I, I call it, you know, it's the story you tell yourself that you're successful. And then tomorrow you'll actually do the stuff that you're truly passionate about when you have time. Right. And unfortunately, I think to your point, I mean, that's the mass, that's the masses. I mean, and then a few people are brave enough to sort of like go down their own path. And some people do later in life or they, they, you know, hit a wall or near death experience or what have you. And then they figure that out. So with so few hours in the day, I mean, I think ultimately you have to decide what's important. And, you know, obviously time management can optimize a lot of that. So you're not just biohacking and such, but, you know, let's say you, you don't do all that and you're not in great shape, but you, you know, you, you optimize all the time you do have and you commute less. And, you know, it's just, to me, a lot of life is, is equations. I mean, you know, there's a finite amount of time. And so I think you can, I mean, there's guys at our gym, for example, or gyms around the country or the world, even that I, I'm sure not only could crush me, but like, just give everybody a run for their, their money on the mats. And then also they crush business. So I think, I think it absolutely can be done, but I think you have to sort of make it quite intentional. And um, I was driving to work today. I was thinking through kind of like our dialogue potential and where this would uh, kind of go. And it, it struck me too. I mean, you know, marriage is its own monster of time. Having kids is a monster of time um, and not monster bad, just, I guess, in scale um, as far as, you know, my adjective choice, but you know, I, all those things, it's really what is important to you and how you want to allocate it. And, you know, there's people who say they want to do something, but then, you know, spend five hours a day watching Netflix or playing video games or what have you. Um, and, you know, I've done a lot of that myself and you know, I'm not agnostic against that stuff, but at the same time, it's all choices. So if you want to be uh, amazing at a, at a sport or a hobby or what have you, um, and at the same time, be highly successful in kind of your core pursuit, I think, I think it's doable. One thing I will say though, is I think you have to have passion on both, both sides. I don't think you can maximize your time allocation daily if you're, if you dislike what it is you're pursuing. So if you're doing a hobby that's like pickleball and you don't like pickleball, you'll make subconscious excuses to watch Netflix for five hours. And I think, you know, some hobbies just don't fit for people. You know, some people jujitsu's not their cup of tea. Um, and so they come for a little bit because they watch UFC and they want to feel tough. And then they're like, actually, this doesn't work. So they make subconscious excuses and they stop coming. You know, I'm not saying it's bad. I mean, they, maybe they start ultra marathons, you know, they can be badass in other ways, but the takeaway is, you know, like you have to be passionate about it to kind of do both and, you know, manage your time on both sides. Yeah. I think part of the a good point that you make there is that it's not necessarily about bashing the people that are shooting to be top executives, but rather um, putting more emphasis and shining more light on the importance of time management and managing your life and balancing what's important in life for you. In case people are wondering um, what this has to do with jiu-jitsu, why we're talking about it, I think it's very relevant. You know, BJJ is, is one of these pursuits that if allowed, can break up that cubicle existence and um, can help you potentially shoot for a top executive spot or that type of sort of highly successful, highly, highly financially focused, um, career driven life, but also um, have exercise and, and social 
uh, interactions and things like that. And again, I just I, I do think it's important to reiterate that um, this is more taking a shot at society as opposed to specific people, because, of course, there are people out there that have to work their backside off every day, want, you know, can barely keep their job. Maybe they feel the stress they have to keep this job in order to survive and to pay their bills. Um, again, it's a shot at society and a shot at what we might be doing differently. Uh, yeah, no, to- I mean, I think I think you're right. I mean, that's the tough thing, though, is everybody in, in seasons of life have sort of these things they have to get done. Maybe they had a kid too young and they have to work two or three jobs. They didn't finish school and they're grinding their ass off. They can't get to the gym or they can't whatever their hobby is. I mean, ultimately, it's like, what's your passion? And so they have to put their passion on hold for various reasons, sometimes for weeks, months, sometimes years. Uh, but I think it's critical to your point in, in the case of jujitsu, for example, that that you at least hold on to that because it it I think adds enough vibrance to your life if that's something that excites you and energizes you that it allows you to go back and pour into other things that maybe aren't the most ideal setting. I mean, I I think you can't love everything in your life all the time. There's going to be stuff that just sucks, and some of that's going to be cubicle work. I mean, I've had I had years of that though too. I mean, I by the way, I like. I'm, it's not like I dance through the daisies in my office. Like I, there are days that I, I think with everybody that, you know, you wish you could X, Y, Z would change, you know, and it, that's just natural. And so, but even, even getting to a place where you feel somewhat optimized, like you've hiked over this huge hill and you're finally maybe at least in a small inclined plateau climbing up still is, um, you know, you'll have months and years of like, you know, I, when I worked at banks, there was cubicle work and, it's sometimes I talk theoretically, like if someone could tell you right now, you're going to be worth $10 million and you're going to get to do this full time for your life, whatever that thing is, jujitsu, what have you, would you live your life differently between now and that moment? Like, would you have more hope and joy in the cubicle? Um, because you, you know, you feel like you're going somewhere. I think the key is, is the passionate things you do and pursue have to offset the struggle. And the reason they do is they give you hope. Uh, if you're stuck in a cubicle and you have no hope um, and you have no hobby and no passion, um, I mean, that's a miserable existence. You just, you just can't do that. But if it's a means to an end um, where you're picking up a few things here and there before you move to the next level, I still think it can be constructive, even if it's not the ideal setting. I think it's kind of interesting how, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of funny. There's a lot of funny memes and funny videos out there of where we're kind of bashing millennials. There is a kind of a, a thinking or an idea that millennials are kind of lazy or don't want to apply themselves in certain ways. I think it's kind of interesting from my perspective. I, I kind of see it a little differently. I think millennials have actually figured it out. And at some point, millennials said, hey, this is ridiculous. I don't want to be wasting my life away in an office somewhere. And I, and you know, this idea of, of us making fun of them for being hippies almost, um, or trying to avoid work or trying to get people to pay for it, whatever. I think there's some, I think there's some validity to their perception that, you know, maybe it's, maybe the truth is that they've actually figured it out. Maybe they're saying, well, hang on a second. Yes, work is important and we want to have careers and things, but it shouldn't be everything. So the Venn diagram of every generation who says every generation is sort of lazy, right? <laughs> like, I mean, right. you know, like every, so, but to your point, it's more nuanced than that. And it's overgeneralization is like, you know, if you get into sort of the nuance of it, I think on the bell curve, there are 10 or 20% of millennials who maybe have figured it out and they started lifestyle brands 
Um, and they're able to do their life's passion all the time. And they skipped, they skipped levels and they said no to the man and they did it their way. And I think that's fantastic evidence that in a sense, the American dreams, dreams still alive, albeit it's, it's, it's morphed and evolved and, you know, it's influencer stuff or it's tech stuff or what have you, uh, sponsorship stuff. I mean, you know, like even the music industry, actually I used to work in for a minute is like, you know, like artists release stuff directly. Now there's no more distribution through CDs and channels and all that. Um, Apple broke that world, which is good. I mean, artists have access now to go on tour without needing all of the, the yes from the big corporate office guy, they can just go do it and not have to worry about it. Um, and so I think, I think it's fantastic that we're breaking a lot of those molds. I mean, it's tough. I mean, I, I talk to people who, who say, oh, I want to be a doctor. And I say, why? I mean, a lot of doctors have become paperwork guys. Um, and then, you know, people who say they want to be lawyers and it's like, well, you know, or it's, I think a lot of times people, the key is to not, not do stuff that you're doing for other people. Like you're sitting in the cubicle working as an accountant because your mom want, you want your mom to be proud of you. I think that's the soul sucking stuff. I mean, look, it's noble and honorable, but you can't you can't live your life that way and the sooner you sort of like figure out what it is you want to do with your life yeah you might have to have this job that you don't like for a couple of years to fund the thing that's giving you the ability to sort of chase your passion but don't let it sort of define your existence for the next 40 years until you die of alcoholism you know there's people who kind of cling to that because they're freeloaders so they're like oh i haven't figured out my way i'm just you know, I'm just figuring it out. I'm in, I'm a unique soul. And it's like, no, like <laughs> what's your actual passion though? Like, cause there are people who like yeah. shrug the system and they have an actual passion and you can see them grinding towards it. And that's, that's, I love that. Uh, but then there's also people who are like, no, I just, you know, like, I don't want to work for the man. And it's like, the, you know, those people technically speaking are quote unquote hippies. It's like, well, if you're not actually focused on something, then that's, that's not the, that's not honorable or noble or cool. It's sort of just like being, I don't know, lazy or, or lost. And maybe you'll figure out your way along the path walking into stuff. But when it's when people don't know what they want to do or aren't sure of what life is for them that don't actually work in the interim, you know, like you have to, yeah. you know, get a job, contribute just because you don't know what you quote unquote want to do or want to be doesn't give you a free pass. I think even though it's it's funny to me because I think some people get angry about, you know, quote unquote, freeloaders of society or something. But it's like, I, I honestly think that like everyone sort of has those seasons of life and they're trying to figure yeah. it out and do their best. It's, and, you know, people are doing that for 50 years and doing drugs. It's like, OK, bro. But but, you know, it's I think ultimately I've also learned as I got older to give grace to people who seem kind of lost because, you know, there are probably years that I was walking into walls too rain wilson uh the actor um on on the office no, known for the office was quoted for saying something along the lines of you know the 20s your 20s are meant to be kind of wasted you know that that's the time where you're meant to make mistakes and and you're meant to learn things and grow and try, try different things um that's kind of the other perspective no and i agree with that to some extent i mean i i think ultimately if you can figure out the patterns for your life that allow you to be productive and whatever it is you're doing. It's you, even if you don't know where you're going, you know, time management and being organized and being like having integrity and doing all these things, whether you start a job sort of like, you know, in finance and end up being a chef, you know, the, the amount of stuff that I've done in my life that actually applies now, even however nuanced and silly, I mean, roughing soccer games when I was 15, you know, like, 
um, how does that apply? But there's these, you know, like self-confidence and, you know, arguing with adults and I just, these weird nuances that like, you know, like sort of eventually, if you can find ways to harvest the value doing the things that aren't the fun, it can still apply value later in life. Even if you're walking into walls in your twenties, um, if you're doing it in a way that's sort of like non-destructive, uh, once you figure out your passion, then you have at least developed these, these habits that, will continue to propel you towards what it, what it is that you're, you know, passionate about. So we're kind of flogging a dead horse with it, with this, um, this yeah. uh, topic. There is another interesting part of it that I want to talk about. The other issue of course now is working from home um, where the switch, which I think is a good thing because it introduces a lot of the independence and flexibility. I've been working from home for like, you know, I don't know, a long time now because I sort of engineered my life, my career, whatever to go that way because for multiple reasons. Um, but it's interesting now the post COVID world is more and more focusing on keystroke technology and monitoring people where there's this kind of huge lack of trust. Now that existed pre COVID obviously, but it's now apparently becoming a more and more of a thing where a sort of a new type of time has been invented. So instead of you watching the clock, you know, the clock is watching you. Um, it's becoming a lot more commonplace. And, and you know, there's new, there's whole industries popping out of it. Like these mouse jigglers is an invention that, you know, that moves the mouse to, which in my mind is, is disastrous because it's almost moving back in the wrong direction again. Well, that's the sort of perpetual fight between the sort of corporate, uh, environment and those people who work um, in jobs they don't like, right? So they're they're sort of biding their time and trying to do the least amount of work they can do because the job is soul sucking, and the people employing them, it's call center, what have you, know that it's soul sucking and it's not fun. And so you know, as technology advances, the corporate group wants to find ways to grow margin one percent, so they'll deploy these tools to make sure that the person's making their sales call quotas. Um, and then the person, you know, it's, it's, it's almost biological where it's like resource management. The person sort of on the, on the life sucking end of things is sort of like trying to minimize the, the destruction of, of their existence. And the person trying to make money is trying to optimize the destruction of their existence. And it's look at the end of the day, this gets into the, what we were talking about originally, which comes back to passion. I, I just don't think that that um, if you're doing a job where the company's monitoring how often you move, um almost like cattle like that's like get out i would yeah. tell you, you know, like something's wrong with that equation and again if you have to stay there for six months because you need medical benefits and you know that i get the hustle there's there's sometimes in life you stay put um as frustrating as it can be and and, and kind of humble yourself to the situation as stupid as it is if you find yourself doing things to try and minimize the amount of work you have to do in that space you're doing the wrong thing. Like if you're doing a sport that like you just try to subconsciously avoid, if you're on a diet that you try to subconsciously just power through, like I, I think humans are wired to, to be able to do more explosive and dynamic and exciting things. And if you find patterns in your life where you're minimizing them all because you hate your setting, then that's, you know, that's something that you should probably address. So where, where does BJJ slot into all of this for you? What, what brought you to jujitsu? You know, originally, like, obviously watching UFC and stuff, um, my ex-wife had a friend who had, like, a little MMA gym, and, um, you know, we would just do boxing and just basic stuff, throwing, you know, kicks or whatnot. It was good to work out. I had done some Taekwondo as a kid, which is 
not really relevant, but like, you know, I like to work out. And then he'd have days where he, he did grappling sort of nogi. This is like 2013. And it intrigued the hell out of me to see. And I had friends who used to wrestle in high school, you know, and, but I didn't wrestle. I was a soccer cross country kind of kid. I used to love all that stuff. Uh, but I wasn't into wrestling or grappling. And I, if I'm transparent about it, I'd have to admit that like part of it was this mental, this mental aspect of probably like my dad wasn't around a ton as a kid. I mean, he was around, but like, you know, he wasn't like, you know, like rough and tumble football, you know, getting hit by stuff. So anyways, when I started getting into sort of just basic, like, you know, boxing, um, against the bag, nothing magical, um, or, uh, or no gi grappling and he, you know, grab a Kimura or do some sweeps or butterflies or things. I had no idea what he's even doing at the time. It, it kind of like, you know, blew my brain as far as like the, the potential for what, and then of course, watching UFC and seeing, you know, like, um, Anderson Silva, Chael Sonnen, and he, he lands the triangle at the end or any of that kind of stuff. You start to, yeah, I just started to, geek, to kind of geek out on it. And I went to a couple other gyms in Utah over the, over the first couple of years, just for like three months at a time. Like I just, I had had a baby in 2013. Um, and work was kind of crazy to a level where I felt like I was grinding upwards and didn't have as much, I was opening some restaurants in Mexico and things like that. So, um, I didn't have as much time capacity back to like, you know, excuses, but I was going a little enough to get beat up and realize I sucked at jujitsu, but you know, it was, it was enough. And then, you know, I, there'd be enough of a gap there where I'd take six months off and just felt like a horrible person, not literally, but I, I had this mental thing where it was like, I haven't been in six months. I don't want the shade. So I, you know, I went to a second gym and then eventually like in 2016, I was like, stop with the shenanigans, bro. Like, and I, I had heard about first, which, you know, as far as the pedigree of Carlos and, uh, Suyon is just absurd. And I, it was close to where I was living at the time. And so I said, okay, I'm going to commit this time, start jujitsu again, quote unquote. And, um, I was, I was clearly a white belt. I mean, I, you know, I wasn't good at, or anything, but, um, and, you know, I've been going since I'll, I'll be at, you know, probably a couple times a week is my average off seasons where I hit four or five. And then I'll have seasons where I hit zero, honestly, but how does it fit into everything? I mean, for me, ultimately, I feel like from white to blue belt, everybody sort of gets face tattoos at BJJ and then, and then they chill out as they get deeper into it. And they, you start to sort of see yourself you're like, wait, this isn't really a race. I'm not the worst guy in the room. I'm clearly not the best, but like, let's settle into this. And at that point for me, it was, I mean, it's sort of the, uh, the drug of choice for me at this point. Like, um, ironically, I feel like it's the least impactful on my body. If I don't do it, uh, I can feel it in sort of weird spots where my, you know, my back is actually more sore. Um, I'm stretching less. I'm, uh, I'm less explosive or dynamic, even just, you know, carrying 15 bags of groceries in the house or changing a tire, like all these weird strength components that I feel like in the absence of, of grappling, you know, even if you just go lift weights and jog, you, you know, your core is not quite as strong. And, so for me, it's sort of an all around workout. That's just, uh, it's fun. And then it's obviously a mental challenge to like, you know, try and try and time things and see things and you forget things. And, you know, it just, it's a, it's a fun match, um, uh, mentally for me to sort of take my mind off of everything else. And so, yeah, I got the bug and I'm not sure how or why it develops. I'm a masochist, I guess, but, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think it's a phenomenal 
phenomenal sport. And even if I never got, I'm at that age, just back to joking about, I mean, I'm at the age now, or at least development wise in jujitsu, where if I never got a black belt, I, I would just, I'd keep going. Like, I, you know, I don't, I don't care as much. Like I respect the, the, the honor and the, you know, all that related stuff that, that gyms have and need to have to create some strata. But, um, but I'm at the place now where it's like, that's why I think I said to you pre this interview jokingly, like, you know, white belt for life. Cause I, I really do think that no matter how much, you know, there's so much you don't know, or you do something 200 times and you still make a 2% mistake on it. Um, you know, so you need to do it. You know, Carlos always says 10,000. It's like, at first I, I thought that was absurd. And then as I started to sort of live it, I started to realize like, you know, my knee cuts, like I'm at 400, that's 4% of 10,000. I've probably done a few hundred arm bars, but that's what 3% of 10,000. I mean, you know, I'm clearly not an expert and there's thousands of positions. So it's like, you know, you'll never really get there, but. I, I think it's a, you make, you made a couple of interesting points there. One, we're kind of all in a way white belts for life in some way. Like we have this idea that you get to jujitsu, do, do it for X years, get a black belt. And then you're like invincible, you know, like that you're <laughs> this incredible ninja you know, the truth is it's probably not that, you know, certainly in self-defense situations, most people might not have the the, the psyche to kind of go, okay, I'm going to like defend myself here properly, you know, or, or even do it properly or, or have the mindset to do it. Like, so there is kind of a little bit of like growing up playing ninja here to this whole thing. You know, we are kind of a little ridiculous in some cases, of course, you know, uh, you know, somebody that gets the black belt is legitimate, you know, at, at least with a, a legitimate lineage like, you know, ours is. And you don't get the black belt uh, and, and not have some degree of toughness to you. I guess the other interesting thing that, that you mentioned was it's kind of funny how everybody gets the blue belt. You're right. Like, it's like you go through a phase of, you know, jujitsu tattoos or whatever. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, everybody's got like their entire they've thrown away every T-shirt they owned and every hoodie. <laughs> And then they bought everything they could find that's jujitsu related. I think, I mean, it's almost an endorsement of the sport though, because if you do catch the bug and you survive past blue belts, I mean, the key is, is to not burn out, but uh, the sport's exciting and intriguing enough that I think it's, it's sticky in a way that you, you don't, I mean, you know, somebody picks up like rec soccer or tennis at their local gym they're not a fanatic. And, you know, I mean, you see this a little bit with CrossFit, which I guess, you know, whatever. But I, I think that sports that make people passionate about something like to that extent are, are you know, are, are great for the, in the community in general. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's it, everybody goes through it. And it's not until you sort of start to come out the other side of it a little bit that you kind of realize what jujitsu really is and the importance of the long-term game and and you know black belts have told me that they get to get there and then they realize well wait a minute <laughs> yeah just starting again you know well just... that's kind of and that's i don't know where that moment hit me i guess in the last two years i used to so i was tracking forever on a spreadsheet how often i went if i was sick sometimes i would take notes like a journal um i'm big on excel of course in my math life uh both personally and professionally like as far as just tracking things to see what the outcomes are and but the absurdity of that was it became sort of like uh, almost became a whip where it's like if I wasn't going to jujitsu, I would just feel bad about myself, which, you know, like by, by nature, you should just want to go naturally. And so I stopped tracking it. But yeah, I mean, I think 
I think at some point I also connected the idea of what you're saying, which was people kind of, I guess, find a place where they realize the journey won't ever end. You know, you and I have talked a few times uh, and there are times when I pick up, um, you know, you're, you're a, a humble person. You, you, at times I feel like almost lack of self-confidence with, with jujitsu. And like, for example, you say, what was it? You said white belts by skill, purple belt by time. Um, I guess, you know, here, here's my question for you. If, if you could clone yourself and then, you know, give yourself advice as to how and why you f feel in this case that, you know, what, what words of encouragement would you give yourself to try and help you fulfill that rank or to feel better about yourself if you were to clone yourself? <laughs> no, that's a fair point. I, I guess for me, like, I'm a pretty staunch self uh, critic in the sense of like, and not that, I mean, a lot of people have it in different capacities, but for me, if I'm not giving it a hundred percent sort of, or in flow and, and the tough thing with jujitsu, and maybe you don't notice it until you're in later belts, at least for myself, I haven't, but you know, if I'm not eating as clean as I should, even if I'm a big guy, like I can tell if I've had beer and carbs during the weekend that my oxygen recovery on the mats on Mondays is, is just junk. And then, uh, you know, I'm lazier to move when I need to move. And then a guy gets a position he shouldn't get. And those kinds of things frustrate me to the extent that I kind of, I feel like part of being a higher belt at jiu-jitsu, A, is being more effective on the mat, but that also means what's your lifestyle off the mat to be more effective. And so for me, it's sort of, um, I constantly feel sort of out of flow. Like I, there are weeks where I'm in flow and I feel amazing, not only on the mats, but uh, I know I'm doing all the right things that I should be doing to be effective at jujitsu, um, getting good sleep, supplements, diet, all these things. And in those sense, I feel like I'm, you know, I maybe perhaps more deserving or, or at least I've achieved, I'm in that flow. But I, I guess in my brain, there's sort of a flow at each belt to where you almost have, I, I feel at least for myself, I have a duty to sort of uphold mainly because of the, the people I've seen come before. I mean, some of the guys at our gym, like Mateusz is a blue belt. And I get that he's, you know, a young kid. Uh, and now he's, you know, he's 20 something. But, um, and so people would say, oh, that's not comparable. But I guess for me, I sort of it's, it's still hold myself to, to the extent that if, you know, can, a, can an 18 year old kid trying to punch my face out, like how would I perform against that individual? And I get that that's a sort of an absurd question um, because, you know, like how does that even contextually happen? Are you, you're going to beat up an 18 year old? No. But, um, but I guess in my brain, I think in terms of, because there will be days in the mat where I, I feel like a pile of crap. And I think to myself, uh, you know, I'll just kind of comment to myself, well, you either you either pay your dues here, you pay them on the street, which again, I'm not street fighting. Uh, but that also ties itself to cancer or whatever have you is like, you know, you have to sort of high function or, or you will have to pay pay for it at some point. And so I guess to me, back to your question, sorry, I'm a rabbit hole guy. I guess my advice would, would always be sort of to, or, or at least question myself, are you really giving it a hundred? Same thing I would do with my daughter who's younger is, you know, Lulu, you know, are you giving it a hundred percent here? Because there's days, I, I feel like if I'm giving it a hundred percent, then maybe if the professors say I'm a purple belt, then that's, you know, I respect that. But if there's days or weeks that I haven't been sort of on my game, I, you know, I don't, I, I guess I don't feel worthy of it in the sense that it's like, nah, you're probably rolling like a blue belt right now because because of the choices you've made you know or whatever just you haven't been conditioning or what have you 
And, and you know, people have told me too, I've read in other blogs or articles, that, you know, part of it is there's days as a white belt where you're a blue belt, there's days of blue belt where you're purple, and there's days of purple where you're brown. And so you're kind of always in this dynamic range of performance. And professors, of course, have seen the game so much, they know kind of what what they think that you are, are you know, are worthy of both in time and, and technique. But I guess I tend to be the kind of person that I'd rather be a blue belt absurdly longer than is, you know, like, like almost a sandbagger than be the guy who gets promoted to brown belt or something. And it's like, uh, like, cause you know, people ha always are coming for your head, which I don't mind, except that, you know, on the days where I don't feel a hundred percent and then I get mad at myself where it's like, man, you've got to, you've got to live in sync outside of the gym as well. You can't just right. show, show up and feel like, you know, you're, you're a tough guy. So what you're saying is, Hitting your goals in jujitsu requires work off the mat in terms of what you eat, your mindset, the time you spend thinking about it, you know, working on, on problems. Um, and also each belt is more of a spectrum of, you know, blue can, can go from um, white to purple in that spectrum in a way, and that we shouldn't necessarily be examining each belt by only that color it also depends on the day and the time and and like you say these things that you've been either taking care of or not taking care of off the mat yeah exactly i mean i think i think it's a spectrum i mean there's days after you get your black belt i'm sure you still roll like a brown belt and if you take a year off i'm sure you roll like a purple belt i mean you know like it's all just sort of but yeah it's it's definitely not this magical and it's logical to speak it out like this but it's also sort of I think it's a helpful way to frame it for me as well as like, you know, there's, there's a spectrum under which, you know, like there's days I'm more explosive. So I'll get the takedown, but why am I more explosive? And is getting the takedown an indication that I'm a higher functioning belt or is it a, an indication that I'm actually just doing the basics better because I, you know, my whole system and my body's just functioning at a higher level from, you know, being carnivore for 30 days or whatever, you know, fasting or, all of these things that enhance sort of your personal performance that that would then thus make you better at jiu-jitsu but it's it's more a function of sort of the the stuff outside the gym than it is even you know you going to 50 seminars or something like that i have um some rapid fire fun topic questions or whatever to throw at you here um they can be rapid fire or they don't have to be if you want to spend a little bit extra time got the it first one is um Nobody cares. Push harder. Well, so the full circle mental mental process is I, I tend to beat myself up about something, for example, and I've seen this in a lot of other people. Um, and then I try to come to a place of like, OK, get over it quickly, because um, the truth is nobody else. This is your own journey. Like nobody else cares how I do it. You should except me. Um, I mean, you know, the professors want me to succeed. But like at the end of the it's day, true. if I, it's I, true. Let, let, yeah, let me just jump in there like there is a lot of truth that like bar you know a a a small handful of friends uh, associates on the mat family members or whatever nobody really cares that's the truth that's the hard truth like when you walk out that door or walk in that door people are thinking about themselves they're thinking about whether or not they can beat you or they don't care at all so to your point that's a really valid important point well, yeah, and because of that, it's sort of like you can spend the next eight hours, 12 hours, three days, even after a tournament or something, beating yourself up. 
Uh, or you can come out to the idea that nobody really cares. Just go work harder. Right. This is true outside of even jujitsu. I mean, you get fired or you don't get the job or you don't get the the girl guy, whatever. Um, you know, all those things to me. Um, to your point on 80 years earlier, I mean, life is short. I have, I mean, if we think about it, I, 70 to 80 is probably not like this glorious curve of life. As far as like, you know, your body's breaking down, you're fighting cancer, probably whatever. And that's very morbid. But the reality is, you know, I probably, I, I joked with somebody the other day, I have 15 and 15, like I'm 15 years behind and 15 years I'm going to die. So, I mean, that's a very absurd, again, sentence, but my, my mindset there is very like, look, I'm behind on my goals. Were I able to go back in time and draw my goals down and figure out this is what I want and this is what I want, I'm behind my new goals. And I, I wish I hadn't wasted so much time but then simultaneously i feel like you know by the time i'm 55 or 60 some bad things could happen to me health wise or who knows and so because i have very limited amounts of time um regardless of how people arrive at that conclusion i i think it's important to sort of like not live in the darkness of well i failed here uh which is natural um but one of the beauties thing beautiful things of jiu-jitsu is you fail so often that you get comfortable with it you know, like you, you get comfortable, like getting slammed and almost choked out and feeling defenseless sort of, and then you start again. Um, and I read some blog, it was one of the most beautiful ways of saying it is it's almost like somebody throws you in the pool and you drowned and then, you know, you learn to swim through the process of drowning. Um, and so for me again, like it's basically just, you know, nobody really cares about how you're performing or swimming or what have you on the analogy. Um, just go work harder. What's something people would be surprised to know about you? I would say, well, maybe it depends on where you meet me. I mean, if you meet me in like a business meeting and you find out, I mean, my ears aren't too cauliflowered yet, so you might not know that I do jujitsu, but I, I have had a few people surprised. Um, I have a full sleeve tattoo. Uh, some people were surprised by that. I play piano. I'm not like, you know, Mozart, but um, some people were surprised to hear that. I taught myself in college at least most of the chords and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I mean, it's, but it's all, that's all that's like the kind of like party trick stuff. What book do you recommend that we should read jujitsu related or, or otherwise? One, I think if you haven't read Siddhartha, um, which I read in high school and I, I should read it again, but to me, there's a lot of, um, a lot of correlation to even like Ecclesiastes in the Bible or something, as far as like someone's own journey through this world and sort of finding peace and centering yourself um, that I think is, it's not the answer to the Holy grail of like the purpose of life, but I, I do think it can draw parallels to a lot of people's struggle to get out of the cubicle and find passion and, and define, I mean, really everybody's striving to find peace and joy. And uh, to me, that book is a helpful sort of path towards that without being over the, it's, it's a story. So it's, it's not over the top with sort of like, you have to start, you know, journaling five times a day type self-help stuff. Um, and then the second book I'd say uh, I'm still reading is Ray Dalio's book right now on the changing world order, which, it, you know, economically speaking, I'm big in sort of finance and economics and macro behavior of shifts and humans. You know, I, I don't think the U.S. is going to be the world's major superpower in 20 years. It's just not. Um, and Ray Dalio does a really good job of sort of outlining how and why when you look at sort of how countries evolve and print money and then, you know, like how they, 
they they bootstrap themselves out of sort of England and then they they build superior technology out of passion. The way Ray Dalio does it, and I'm I don't know if he said all that in his book. I'm kind of paraphrasing my thoughts, but what he does a great job of is talking about pattern recognition because I'm convinced, and I agree with his thesis here that that if you look through history, the Ottoman Empire, Dutch, England, Japan, Italy, I mean, just over time. Uh, and you study their sort of consumer behavior, economic activities, printing of money, gold standards, all these things that that over time, all these countries follow a very similar pattern. And, uh, you know, like we're not going to like collapse, but, I, you know, we'll probably look more like England as far as sort of we're like this old man who's fading out. We're not the young upstart of hunger. Who should I interview next? Dr. Rhonda Patrick, if it's possible. So it's funny, I'm big on... A lot of her stuff right now. Um, she's on Joe Rogan from time to time. You could even watch some of those. But I, I think that the a lot of the stuff off the mat we talked about briefly earlier is like um, how your body sort of is behaving and performing and, and why or why not. And I, I'm convinced a lot of it's just biologic, bio, biology and chemistry, uh, which is sort of a foregone conclusion. But I'm convinced as well, like, you know, epigenetics and DNA manipulation. And I, she does some really fascinating work around uh sauna a cold you know cold ice baths and things and, and she's not the only one but she's she does a really good job in my opinion of and then of course all of the the chemical outputs of uh and studies relating to obviously those topics as well as sofirifane which is in broccoli and chloroforce vegetables um which i hate those vegetables but she she explains it well as to why um you know extreme stressors or or stressors in general and just overall certain supplements, zinc, D, what have you, all these things, um, magnesium, malate, biglycinate, all these things are significantly valuable for, I think, people. And it, particularly as people get older, sort of the biohacking, what, what your body might need to sort of behave better if you're not sleeping well, if you're sore often. It's not just diet. It's not just sleep schedules. Uh, it's not just stress. Uh, I fundamentally think that if people sort of had the right chemistry and biology, I mean, antidepressants could go away and I'm not, I'm not against those. I just, there's a lot of things that I think we can solve naturally. And I think she's been one of my favorite people to listen to, uh, who speaks a lot on that. So quick shout out to Avi Greenberg, um, our own breathing and ice bath, uh, expert at first PJJ. Um, Dave, uh, you are one of these intellectual types that i really enjoy picking your brain from time to time love it when i see you at the mat um in first pdj and i just want to say i appreciate you taking the time to come on and um share your thoughts today no absolutely thanks for having me I feel uh given the schedule of people you've had on here i feel not unworthy back to the self-deprecation but um <laughs> you know it's well just from a jiu-jitsu podcast stance it's sort of like um, but I guess it, it, speaking to, I guess, full circle in the discussion about passion and, and sort of life, I mean, the whole point of jujitsu is sort of, is that right. And so, uh, if I can help anybody add some color to something or just at least add some entertainment for the day, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity.